listening to the Learning to Believe Again podcast with your host, Brittany Bexton. Where do you everyone and welcome to the podcast. After last week's podcast, I had a great question in my comments that is, how can I recognize false teachings? Well, it was such a great question. I felt like we should just address it on the podcast this week and then continue on with our regular program because it's really important for people to understand how to recognize false teachings just to function as a healthy Christian, and even to recognize where a church might be healthy for you and might not. Not all leadership that is Christian is healthy leadership. So I wanted to address that. Before we go any further, if you are listening on Apple and you haven't already, hit the subscribe button and share the podcast. Like it on Spotify and follow And thank you so much for joining. I am so excited to have all of you each week. And I hope that you share these episodes if they are meaningful to you so that other people can learn and grow as well. So back to the question, how can I recognize false teaching? So I talked a little bit about this last week as I was discussing my book and my book study, Learning to Believe Again, and how that book really was birthed out of my own healing process of healing my faith and how a huge part of that was actually unraveling false teachings that I had learned in church out of the Bible. But the problem was that those teachings had been taken out of context. So even though there were biblical references used and there were biblical things used in the sermons, that I had heard with the false teachings, they were taken out of context and therefore they were actually taken out of their proper meaning biblically. And when that happens, we can end up acting and doing things in such a way that's not actually how God intended and it can cause harm to us. Because the Bible is living and active. It is the word of God to us, but it's more than that. It is actually a guidebook to life, how to live healthy, happy functional lives, even successful lives, God's instructions to us, as it were. But when we get those instructions wrong because we don't read it correctly or we take it out of context, it's actually not helpful anymore. So how do we recognize when a teaching is false? Now, I want to just start by saying just because someone has done a false teaching does not mean they've realized that. In fact, chances are they were taught it wrong and they think it's right. They just haven't dug in deeply enough to understand the true meaning. So just because someone teaches something false does not mean they're a bad person. It does not mean they know what they're doing. It does not mean they're trying to lead people astray. So I just want to put that out front right now. Most of these people mean well. You know, they don't do better until they know better. Now, if they do know better and they are not doing better, that's an entirely different thing. But it is important for you in the body to recognize when teaching is true and when it's false. So how can we recognize false teachings? Well, number one, the Bible. The Bible is our guidebook to life. So we have to reference the Bible 
Now, you might be thinking, if a minister or pastor referenced the Bible, but they got it wrong and taught it falsely, how am I supposed to get it right? Well, you can do what they likely did not do. (laughs) You can dig deeper and put it back into context. So what does that look like? I am going to actually unpack this with you on the topic of forgiveness and give you a few tools for how you can do this yourself. So most of the time, false teachings actually are just taken out of context in the Bible. So where in a certain scenario, it might be accurate, it is not accurate in all scenarios, and to take it out of context is actually changing the meaning. There are times when something that someone preaches is just not biblical at all. So that would be an easier thing to discover. If you feel rubbed the wrong way or something doesn't sit right, or maybe it's a subject that has actually kept you feeling stuck. Maybe it's kept you in an unhealthy situation and it has kept you feeling stuck. That is a reason to dive deeper and to read into that topic. Now, I understand you might not be able to sit down and unravel every sermon that you hear biblically, but in general, you should be reading the Bible yourself so that you have an understanding of what God says so that when you do hear false teachings, you might actually recognize it right out of the gate because you're familiar enough with the Bible to know that what they said wasn't accurate. But what happens when it's a sneakier one, right? Because it's taken out of context. Or it's just misinterpreted. The language is misinterpreted. That requires a little more digging. So I'm going to use an example, actually a couple of examples. I'm going to give you an overall example that I'm not digging into because that would require pulling out the verses, but I will likely dig deeper into this specific topic with my friend Shannon Davis in a future podcast episode, possibly next week or the week after, where we talk about abuse specifically and what the Bible really says about it. But an example of something being taken out of context would be when a pastor or elder or someone in the church period tells a person that has been abused that is getting away from their abuser that God hates divorce. Now, that is in the Bible. It does say that God hates divorce. But that is a very particular context being spoken to a very particular group of people. Do I think there is ever a time that God likes divorce? No, because God never intended for there to need to be a need for divorce. People are supposed to love each other and love each other well. However, God did create divorce because of hardness of hearts, because people failed to love well and he recognized a need for it. In fact, God actually divorced Israel himself. He divorced himself from the covenant to Israel at one point because they had sinned against him so horribly. So, though God hates divorce, and I think we can all agree that we hate divorce too, there is a context in which divorce is appropriate because it is not actually a marriage in the sense of a healthy marriage covenant as God intended. And people taking that one scripture, God hates divorce, 
out of context and using it as a weapon against abuse victims who have already been tormented is nothing short of spiritual abuse. So that would be an example of a false teaching that is actually used kind of as a weapon against someone and as a way to keep someone stuck in a very unhealthy situation that God did not intend for them. But I'm going to dig deeper into the topic of forgiveness so I can walk you through how you can unpack this yourself. Now, when you are tackling a teaching to try to figure out if it is biblical and true or if it's a false teaching, let's say it is a specific topic. The first thing you should do is do a topic search in the Bible. So you want to dig deeper into that topic and what does the Bible say on that topic in all of the places that it is mentioned. So you could look up abuse. Not every translation is going to use that word exactly, but you could look up abuse, scriptures about abuse, and you could find every scripture that references abuse, the word abuse. So how can you do that? Well, I have this nifty Bible app. It is literally just called Bible or the Bible app. It's on version, And in that, when I open it up, if you go to the search tab at the bottom, you can put in at the top specific topic searches. So I have been looking up Bible verses about resurrection recently. So if I put in resurrection and then I hit search, it gives me a list of all of the verses that have the word resurrection or reference something related to resurrection in them according to the version of the Bible that you are looking at. So right now I have mine opened to the AMP, so the Amplified Version. So it's looking up every verse in the Amplified Version that mentions the word resurrection or resurrected or something related to that. And I can go through and it gives me all of the verses. So it has 1 Corinthians 15, a number of verses in in 1 Corinthians 15. It has Matthew 28, 6, John 11, 25. So these are all verses that reference resurrection. You can do that with any topic. So you can just go to the search tab and search it there. Sometimes maybe it's a phrase or something you want to look up. It's harder to look up a phrase on the Bible app, but you can Google it. But be careful how you Google. You want to make sure it's actually pulling up scriptures. Just you can type something in in Google like Bible verses about and then the phrase that you want to put in. You're not necessarily going to find things to be as relevant doing that as you are directly in the Bible app, but that's a way to do it. So then you have all of these scriptures at your fingertips, and now you can compare the scriptures and compare the references and see what God says about those things in these different contexts. Because, well, something might be true in one context, it might not be true in another, An example would be a lot of people say that women cannot be in leadership in the church because Paul said something along those lines to a very specific church. But when we put it in context, we realize that in that specific church, the women involved in the church were actually 
a lot of them false prophets or operating in witchcraft, and they were new to the church. And if they had been allowed to speak, the church would have been led into witchcraft and led astray. So Paul gave them that specific church with those specific people and that specific scenario, the instruction to not allow the women to teach. But if we look at the Bible, we see many examples of women teaching and being in leadership. Deborah, in the Old Testament, in Judges, is a prime example. She was a prophet, but she was also the judge of Israel, God appointed. So she was the one that all of the people went to when they had an issue and needed judgment pronounced. And she was the one that led the men into battle against their enemies. So when we put things in context, we realize that there are actually false teachings that have been twisted to suit someone's personal needs or just because they never took the time to read deeply enough to put things in context. So that's one way you search. We are going to look up the topic of forgiveness, and I am going to use three examples here. So the first example is Matthew 6. Now you are probably familiar with Matthew 6 because Matthew 6 is where the Lord's Prayer is. So the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 starts at verse 9. Now if you're not familiar, here we go. I'm reading the Amplified Version right now, so it's probably going to be a little different than what you're used to hearing. Pray then in this way, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So we see this reference to forgiveness here. And actually, in the Amplified Version, I didn't read it, but it does have in parentheses, letting go of both the wrong and the resentment. So this actually, (laughs) the Amplified Version actually speaks to what the true meaning is there. So in this context, forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. We are called to forgive people that have, have debts against us. Now, because it says debts here, we can actually assume that there is a debt, that there is something owed. Well, in that sense, we are literally letting go of what they owe us and we are releasing them. So there is a lot of teaching about forgiveness going on. But a lot of the teaching about it is taken kind of out of context. And it's sort of this sense of hyper grace of you just need to forgive. You need to forgive because Jesus says, you know, to forgive seven times 70 or that's not the exact verse, but he tells us to keep forgiving. Essentially, the idea is that it's this multiplied number of forgiveness. Like if they repent, you forgive, you forgive, you forgive. But What does forgiveness actually mean in this sense of we are called to do it? We're asking God to forgive us and we are forgiving others. Well, God can forgive us in a deeper way. But what we are actually saying here is to let go of what happened, to let go of the resentment, to let go of the bitterness. 
The Greek word here for forgive or have forgiven, as it says, as we have forgiven our debtors, actually means to send away, leave alone, or permit. Meaning we allow them to do what they're going to do. We don't hold it against them. We leave them alone. We send them away. We release them. It's a release. That does not mean that we allow that person back in our lives. But societally, forgiveness tends to mean letting someone back in your life. And we get into a challenge when a preacher starts preaching on a societal expectation of the word forgiveness versus the biblical meaning. So what this means here is not that we have to allow people in our lives who have hurt us, have harmed us, have stolen from us, or anything like that. What it does mean is that we have to let go of it and let go of the resentment and release them. Send them away, leave them alone. We have to release them to God. So that is one reference to forgiveness. We also see in Luke 17, 3-4, it says, So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. So here, it is actually conditional. And when we go to Luke 17, I'm going to go a couple of verses before. Because again, when we put things in context, we don't want to just look at that one verse. We want to look at the context that that verse sits in. So I'm going to go before verse 3. I'm going to start at the beginning of verse 17 and read that. Let's go to Luke 17.1, and this is the NLT translation. One day, Jesus said to his disciples, There will always be temptations to sin, but what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting? It would be better to be thrown into the sea with a millstone hung around your neck than to cause one of these little ones to fall into sin. So watch yourselves. If another believer sins, rebuke that person. Then, if there is repentance, forgive. Even if that person wrongs you seven times a day and each time turns again and asks forgiveness, you must forgive. Okay, so in this context, the word forgive means the same thing. It is to send away, to release. So it doesn't necessarily mean, oh, you have to spend time with that person, but it is releasing it. So they have made the choice to repent to put themselves before God and say they are sorry, they have recognized it. Repentance does mean changed behavior. So if, if they're not changing their behavior at all, it's not true repentance. But this doesn't say that they're doing the same wrong. This could be different sins. They're learning along the way. Rebuking that person means to warn them, to hold them accountable, essentially. But this is conditional. This verse says, if there is repentance, forgive. If there is repentance, forgive. Now, right before this, it talks about someone causing the tempting and how that is not okay. So rebuking them is like a warning, like, hey, you're in sin. And if you continue to be in sin, you could be tempting these other people to sin. You could even be tempting the children to sin. Change your ways. So they might wrong you, but if they turn from their ways, if they turn 
from their wrongs and they ask forgiveness, you can forgive them. But there's an if. They have to turn from it. So we see here already there's an example of the way that you would deal with someone. You do release them. You release them from the wrong. You send them away. You release it. You release resentment. But there's an if attached to it of repentance because if they don't repent, they don't turn again to God and to the truth, they continue sinning, then they're actually harmful. That doesn't mean that you don't still release them, that you don't release them back to God, but you don't allow them around. We see in Matthew 18, 15 to 18, another example of how to handle things if someone sins against you. So this verse doesn't actually use the term forgiveness, which is interesting. Every context that I have found where the word forgiveness is used, it actually means to release to God, to send away, to let go of. So it's not about reconciliation. Now, Matthew 18, 15 to 18 is about reconciliation and how to go about it and when and if you should. So in Matthew 18, 15 to 18, it says, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. So you've essentially rebuked them. And if they confess it, they repent. You've won them back to the truth and back into the family of Christ back into relationship with you. You have won that person back. It goes on to say from there, but if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything that you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then, if he or she will not accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a tax collector. I tell you the truth, whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. So here we see an example of what happens when true reconciliation happens. Now, if that person repents, if they listen and they confess it, you have won them back. And you go through the process to try to do that. But when it comes down to it, if that person doesn't confess what they have done, if that person doesn't repent, it makes it very clear here. It says, treat them as a pagan or a tax collector. Well, tax collectors were like the total outcasts of society. So essentially it means to completely shun that person and to not have anything to do with them. So we see that biblically... Forgiveness is not about allowing someone back in your life. Forgiveness is about releasing them to God, releasing any debts that they may have towards you, and releasing any resentment so that you are no longer tied to what they did to you and that you are no longer bound by any hurts that they may have caused you. It means freedom for you. And as you do that and you let go of those things and you trust God to deal with them, he is able to forgive us. 
But it does not mean allowing someone back in your life. Forgiveness does not equal reconciliation. So a lot of pastors will preach about reconciliation as if it is forgiveness, or they will preach about forgiveness as if it is reconciliation. I'm not saying that this is that common anymore. I'm just using an example that I have heard in my own life. So I'm not bad-mouthing anybody. Like I said, they probably were taught wrong on their own. So I'm just correcting this issue, and I'm giving you an example about how you can dig deeper on your own. So if we look at it societally, forgiveness, when you think of the word, usually you would think it means reconciliation, but biblically it does not mean that. So if it gets preached as reconciliation, that's actually a false teaching. And it could be a very harmful teaching for someone who is dealing with abuse, neglect, or just toxic people. Because the truth is that when someone continues to sin against you, you are not to continue relationship with those people. You can forgive them, you can release them, and you should release them regularly. We do not want to hold resentment, and we do not want to hold bitterness against anyone. It binds us. We release that to God. We release any expectation that they will do anything for us, and we just trust in the Lord. But that does not mean that we allow those people in our lives. And if this is taught wrong, it can lend towards this very toxic, codependent, and unhealthy kind of connection with people in in many different environments. With this toxic thought of, If people are treating you toxically, you just have to be kind and just constantly forgive them. Do you have to forgive them in a biblical way? Yes, you need to release them to God and release the resentment and walk away. Send off, as it says. That is what the Greek word means, to send off. It does not mean that you have to allow that person to be by you. So I have seen it happen where this teaching was taught falsely, And people have been stuck in situations where they're being walked on like a doormat and sinned against regularly and hurt and harmed and abused. And they've thought that it is okay because of this teaching that was inaccurate and not biblically sound. Where in actuality, we are to send it off. We are to let them go. We are to release them to God and leave, separate ourselves from them and heal. Forgiveness in the biblical sense is not reconciliation. The only time reconciliation can happen is with conditions. It is a condition of repentance. It is a condition of confessing their sins and turning away from whatever wicked way it was and back to God and back to the truth. So that would be an example of a teaching that could be taught false and how to dive deeper yourself. So like I said, you look up the verses that relate to forgiveness. You might look up the verses in that scenario that relate to reconciliation also. Because, you know, in Matthew, that chapter in Matthew that I just read, it talks specifically about how you go about it if there is an offense or something that has been done against you by someone. You try for reconciliation. You bring it before the church. You bring it before the elders, you bring it to them personally first, and it walks you through how to do that. But there is a clear consequence of if it does not happen, if they do not repent, if they do not confess, if they do not turn away from it, 
you're to treat them with disdain in the sense of as if you have nothing to do with them, the same way that you would treat a tax collector, as it says. So someone who is not part of your inner circle, not part of your church, not part of your group, you cast them out, essentially. So that is a way to dive deeper. You look up the topic, you dig it out in the Bible, you read everything about that topic, you put it into context, and you Greek it out or Hebrew it out, depending on which you prefer or what your resources are. So what do I mean by Greek it out? Well, forgive in the English language has a very different connotation to what it means in the actual original Greek or Hebrew in those verses, right? When we hear the word forgive, do you think that it means to send off, to give up, to let go, to release, to send forth, to bid go away or depart? Because that's not usually what that would mean in the English language context. So sometimes we have to dig deeper to find the actual meaning of a verse because in the English translation, There wasn't really a way to fully translate it properly. And the way that we do that is by actually going back to the original text in Greek. So I'm going to give you a resource. You can go to Strong's Concordance. Strong's Concordance has both the Greek concordance and the Hebrew concordance. And you can look that up. The one I have on my phone is the Hebrew but I actually really like looking through the Greek. And you can actually even use Google for this. You know how I looked this up so that I would have it on my computer to discuss? I pulled it up on Google by typing in Luke 17 Strong's Greek. That's what I typed in because Strong's is strong concordance. And when I put that in, it knew that I was looking for the Greek version of the Strong's Concordance, and then I could go in and select one of them that has the text analysis, or it breaks down the word. And it will pull it up. So the Strong's Concordance I have on my phone, you actually can pull up verses, and next to the words, it will have a highlighted part that has a number reference. The number reference is the reference to Strong's, where that word is in Strong's, and Strong's concordance is basically a dictionary of the original Greek and Hebrew. So when you pick a word to look at, you go in. So I'm in Luke 17 right now, so I'm just going to go to the word forgive here because that's what we've been talking about. It pulls it up, it shows me the Greek word in Greek. Then it does the transliteration, so the way it would look in the English alphabet. It gives you the pronunciation, and then it gives you the definition. And it says from G575, because that is the reference in Strong's Concordance. That's the reference page. And then it says the definition, to send, to go, to send forth in various applications. Lay aside, leave, let alone, be, go, have, omit, send away. And then it gives the usage of this version of Strong's Concordance and where they have used it. And they've used it a number of times for forgive. They've used it for leave, for suffer, for let, for forsake, let alone. So you can go in and you can dive deeper and get the actual definition of the word. So if you are unsure about a teaching or you're just trying to dig deeper into 
a verse and what it might mean. Maybe this verse has felt meaningful to you, but you want to dive deeper. This is a great way to do it. This is a Bible study tool. You look up Strong's Concordance for that verse and you dig deeper. You go into each of the words and what they mean in the Greek or the Hebrew, and you get to the original translation, and it can totally open up verses in a whole other way. So that is really how you unravel false teachings. And this goes the same for how you test a prophetic word, how you test something that you are hearing. It all comes back to the Bible. So ultimately, Bible study is your friend for discerning false teaching versus the truth. And the more that you read the Bible on your own, the more you will already be so filled with the truth that you can recognize false teaching when it comes up. I hope this helped just giving you a few Bible study tools, Strong's Concordance, the Bible app, do some research looking up words topically or looking up topics through the words in the search options, right? So pull the verses based on topic, dive deeper with Strong's Concordance, either the Greek or the Hebrew. You can also use what they call the interlinear Bible, which is essentially the same as Strong's, and it's just you read through it and you can click on the words as you go to see what they mean and go deeper. But that is how you unravel a false teaching. I hope that was helpful to you, and I hope that this also inspired you to dive deeper into the Bible on your own, because there's so much more meaning there than even what we read at first glance. You can always dive deeper. The Word of God is living and active, and it affects your life and shifts things for you. So I encourage you to dive in and let the word transform your life in beautiful ways and heal your heart in amazing ways and unravel lies for you as you read. I hope this blessed you and I hope you have a wonderful week. God bless and I will talk to you next week. Thank you.